Hey, happy Monday morning. Here is your man, freshly shaven, by the way, Dan Dockich. What a great weekend. Literally didn't get out of my house, but to go to church. True story all weekend. It got cold, it got snowy, and I wasn't leaving. You know, one of the things that you got to understand about old coach versus new coach, and we're going to get into Bill Cower here immediately. The deal is simple. Old coach came up hard. Old coach came up as a graduate assistant. I'll tell you my path. Coach Knight hated me. 1985, senior captain, only two-time captain, actually me and Quinn Buckner, but he hated me. He had, however, offered me a graduate assistantship. He made me do everything. I'm talking about go find his hunting dog in the middle of the field. Uh, Found me in uh, at dinner said, hey, you got to meet my son at 6.30 in the morning to play one-on-one. Called me at 2 o'clock in the morning to come get a friend of his and drive him to the airport at 5. I mean, the stuff that I had to do was unimaginable. And then I had to work my way up through being a, what they called at the time, volunteer assistant, then a part-time, then a full-time. So I understand working your way up. And not one of these TV clowns can tell you even for a second or can compare coming up to how I came up. So, having said that, I hear Bill Cower. I hear, hear, hear Bill Cower on my TV talking about how it is a disgrace, an absolute disgrace to the coaching profession that Jeff Saturday was put in as an interim coach. And he might be right. He might have a point. However, I don't want to hear about a couple of things. I don't want to hear about how guys on the current staff were overlooked. The Colts were 3-7-1, and one. hadn't taken a lead into the fourth quarter all year. By the way, it's week 10. Hadn't scored a touchdown in the first quarter all year. By the way, it's week 10. And Coward did what every white guy does now. He hid behind the minority coach. Hey, you got all these experienced guys and minority coaches on the step. Yeah, well, those minority coaches, Scotty Montgomery, one that he brought up, is part of the offensive ineptness. Dude's lucky to have a job. In the real world, he might not have a job. In the real world, uh, guys, not only Reich, but guys, all of them, would have been fired, could have been fired. Marcus Brady was fired. Look, Jimmy Ursay saved those guys. You can look at it as if Jimmy Ursay bypassed those guys, but I watch the Colts every day, year-round. And the ineptness of the Scotty Montgomery's of the world or whoever else is on that. Uh, Chris Strouser, the offensive line coach, is stunning. Stunning. The ineptness of Frank Reich. Stunning how bad they were. I've been telling you this in Indianapolis for four years. There was no accountability, no toughness, no heart, no nothing. Just excuse making. And that's what the modern coach has become. The modern coach has become a babysitter, an excuse maker, and an analytics guy. When's the last time you saw a coach get blanked off as, at a player? Hell, the guy coaching Stefanski, who's going to coach the Browns, is so inept that he, right now, starting today, is going to allow a serial assaulter into Sean Watson into his building to start practicing. I mean, when coaches start getting some stones, some nuts, then I'll start having respect for it. I got respect for guys like Jim Beheim, who's joining our show. I got respect for older guys that maybe have a little discipline. But what did Steve Kerr do to Draymond Green? Nothing. Speaking of old guys, what did Nick Saban do? What did he do to his wide receiver? I saw him make a catch the other day. 
Nothing. I got to tell you, it's a load of crap. And to hide behind the minority coach, which is what every white guy does. I mean, let's be honest. Every white guy is looking for racial cover. I get racial cover by saying the minority coaches. I didn't just mention John Fox or Gus Bradley, who, by the way, John Fox just got absolutely booted out of Chicago. And Gus Bradley hasn't won as a head coach since I did in 2008. I mean, just stop with the garbage. And then, of course, you got to throw in the minority coach. Yeah? Well, those minority coaches of the Colts stink. You want the truth? They stink. No accountability, no scheme, no ingenuity, no heart. I don't give a damn if you're a minority coach or you're a white coach, if you're a young coach, if you're an old coach, and you're coaching on the Colts, you stink. Until yesterday, when one guy showed up, and you could tell a distinct difference. There seemed to be a little pep. There seemed to be a little hop. It took a 30-year-old guy to become the play caller over all of these guys. And by the way, Scott Milinovich, you fraud you. Scott Milinovich is one of the Colts' assistant coaches. He turned down the play calling job. Why? Because he didn't get a bump in salary. Yeah, I've told you this before. Coaches in the NFL, longtime assistants, are interested in one day of the week. Uh Uh-uh, it ain't Sunday. It's called Tuesday. It's payday. So you're sitting there, and you got a chance to go from being a nondescript, inept quarterback coach, i.e. Scott Milinovich. They offer you a play-calling job, and, yeah, it's too much work, and I'm not getting more money, and I don't want to do it. What a – I'd fire his ass yesterday. I mean, I'd have fired him for, it it couldn't have have happened quick enough. Adios. Goodbye. What a bunch of garbage. And then, all right, let's go to what I'm talking about here. Here's what Bill Cowher had to say. You know, guys, I, I played in National Football League for five years. I went on to become an assistant coach right from playing the coach, and I was assistant coach for seven years. Hmm. Blessed to be able to go to Pittsburgh and be a head coach at the age of 34 for 15 years. I'm speaking on behalf of the coaching profession. I know for a fact that Jeff Saturday was offered an opportunity to become a head, an assistant coach with the Indianapolis Colts multiple times in the last four years. He declined, citing that he had a TV job and wanted to spend more time with his family. Mm-hmm. I get it. That's fair. I get it. Coaching is about commitment and it's about sacrifice. It's not just a job. It's a lifestyle. That being said... Jeff Saturday has taken a position this year as a consultant for the Indianapolis Colts. Mm -hmm. And he's talked to them weekly from his home in Atlanta. Now to find out on Monday, in that short period of time, he's now the head coach of the new Indianapolis Colts, overseeing a staff that he chose not to to choose. Not to join. Because of a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Jeff Saturday talked about in his first press conference. The fact that he's going to use his second half as an opportunity to build his resume, to see whether or not he can coach in the future. Mm. I say to that, what about the assistants on the staff right now? The guys that were there in training camp, the guys that were there early in the morning and late at night, the guys that have gone through the first six weeks in that building, guys like Gus Bradley, Scotty Montgomery, uh, John Fox, don't they deserve the opportunity? For no. an owner to hire a coach who's never been an assistant at the college level or the pro level and overseeing a 
very much a lot of candidates that are qualified for that job, as we see in Steve Wilkes, an opportunity to build a resume. It's a disgrace to the coaching profession. Mm. And regardless how this thing plays out, what happened in Indianapolis is a travesty. Mm. You know, well said. Oh, it's not well said. And Nate Burleson needs to shut the hell up. Look, I've been on these sets. You're sitting there talking to some idiots trying to chime in. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Shut up. It drive you nuts. Nate Burleson. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Shut! That's not well said. He sounded like an idiot. He sounded incoherent. He sounded like he got his head hit too many times. Bill Cowher, my ass. Why, do Gus Bradley and those guys deserve a shot? No. No. In fact, Saturday needs to shut up about being a consultant to that mess and just be a head coach. He didn't consult nothing. That's what I would say. Hey, I wasn't no part of that mess. Does Gus Bradley deserve a shot at that job? No. Hell no, John Fox, no. First, they're boring as hell. There's going to be no interest. Two, they've already coached. They've had their ass kicked, and now they're on this staff that's getting its ass kicked. Three, seven, and one is what the Colts are since Christmas Day. I mean, the ineptness is stunning. Stunning. No fourth quarter leads? Ten weeks in? No first quarter touchdowns? Hey, those guys... John Fox, the rest are lucky to have freaking jobs. And I don't give a damn if you're a minority candidate. I don't give a damn if you're a white candidate. I don't give a damn if you're young. I don't give a damn if you're old. If you were on that staff when Marcus Brady was let go, the fall guy, the offensive coordinator, and the head coach, Frank Reich, you're damn lucky you weren't fired too. What a bunch of crap. All right, let's see if Jimmy Ursay, oh, by the way, the Colts got it done. And got a win. Jeff Saturday is the winningest uh, coach by percentage in the history of the NFL. Let's hear from Jimmy Ursay, the head man after the game. You said you weren't going to put one of your best fighters in the ring knowing he may get pummeled. He did the knocking out today. What did you just tell Jeff Saturday and your team? Well, just, just proud of him and all the guys. You know, I knew that, that Jeff would know how to mold and, and delegate to some of our great coaches and our players that are great leaders. And, and Jeff knows how to do that. He's a, a great leader, and he uses everything around him to make the team better. And, and I always said that he's very, he's an unusual guy and extremely talented and mature beyond his years. And he's, you know, he has those sort of capabilities to do what he did. And, and all the coaches rallied around him. So proud for, you know, Parks and the whole staff. The defense got a great stop at the end with Gus. And, you know, again, you score 25, you're going to win a lot of games in this league. And um, just, just so proud of the team. Everything that's been done has been done to win. You know, that's, it's very simple. Nothing's been done for any reason except what's the best for the franchise. And the same thing with Matt starting today. You know, he felt really healthy. Um, you're on, on the road in a tough place. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, he's still got plenty when you protect him and run the ball like we did. Um, you know, we saw what we're capable of doing, and we really felt if we could get the protections right. And we really simplified things this week. You know, when you're not executing, you practice to execute. When you're still struggling, you simplify. And, and that's what we had to do. We took a lot of stuff out of the playbook and, and made sure guys were ready to play hard and, and ready. And that simplification led to, to better execution. Now we're going to cry. 
Now Derek Carr is going to cry. Look, I didn't look this guy's name up, but Colts now are heroes, and rightfully so. But I got to tell you, if you watch that game, man, number 58. See, coaches get the blame, which is why they get big money. But number 58 for the Raiders, I would cut him today. I would cut him in a second. Like, he would be cut. Darren Butler, apparently, is his name. Darren Butler would be cut so fast. He had a chance to recover a fumble. And he tried to get up. And in trying to get up, he lost the fumble. All he got to do is sit on the ball and the Raiders win the game. But Darren Butler decided, yeah, he ain't doing it. Thank you, Darren Butler. You made a city of Indianapolis very happy. And you made your own teammate cry. Okay, Derek Carr. I know. Let's see. Cry. Let's see. Come on, baby. Um, no, I love I love Josh. I love the car. I love our coaches. Um, they've had nothing but success, you know. Way more success than I've ever had, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Derek, um, you know, I'm, sorry. to finish that, sorry for being emotional. I'm just pissed off about some of the things, you know, that a lot of us try and do just to practice what we put our bodies through just to sleep at night. And for that to be the result of all that effort pisses me off. Pisses a lot of guys off. It's hard knowing what some guys are doing. Like I said, just to practice what they're putting in their body just to sleep at night. Like just so we could be there for each other. And I wish everybody in that room felt the same way about this place. And as a leader, that pisses me off, if I'm being honest. Derek, obviously. Shut up. I mean, I, you know what? Here's what I got. I, I, you know, I've had enough. Football players and football coaches act like this is like some noble profession. You're trying to put a ball across a line. Whether it's a first down line, line of scrimmage, or the goal line. That's it. What are we putting our bodies every, every day? Yeah, what about a coal miner? What about my Uncle Jerry that went to a steel mill every morning? What about the cops that fight and get up and do it again? What about teachers that get up and fight? We put, for, for, shut up. Seriously. Hey, look, I, football's tough. Great, everything's tough. Life's tough. I'm so tired. Like, Bill Cower acts like coaching is this noble profession. Used to be. Coaching now is babysitting. This guy acts like, you practice Wednesday. Maybe. Thursday, a little. Friday, walk through. Saturday, off. Play. You don't do nothing. Seriously, you don't do a damn thing. Jesus, if I got to hear... From, well, yeah, my, my Uncle Jerry went to a steel mill every day for 50 years. My mother and father taught school 41 and 52 years. You want to get up every day and do that, clown? 
geez, you don't, you, you don't even practice in the offseason. You don't practice during camp. You, you play a game on Sunday. No one sees you till Wednesday. Oh, we, the thing, L, baby, everybody takes a little ambient or melatonin. We put it in our bodies. Then play better. I had a great friend, rest in peace, my friend Bobby Heben Street. We called him Hebe. Play better. That's it. Play better. That's it. I don't want to hear from you. Play better. We put it in our bodies. Hey, speaking of playing better, Tom Brady did a hell of a job. Tom Brady yesterday went into München, home of the great Uva Blob, and uh, balled out. He got some help from a running back named Rachad uh, White, who went for 105. But Tom Brady wasn't the story. The story was everybody singing. We can't show it because of the NFL's idiotic rules. But the truth of the matter is everybody started singing country roads, take me home. I wish there was video of the day I got the West Virginia job. I was in Atlanta, me and my my wife and my boys, not my sons, but my guys and their wives. We were singing country roads in a bar in Atlanta with Craig Sager, the late Craig Sager. Uh, It was a blast. But hey. Munchen, and I'll tell you something else about Munchen. They give you the big beers. I mean, these things are big. They don't mess around with a 16 ounce for $75 in a can. Uh-uh. They had the Steins going yesterday. Oh, hell yeah. But Tom Brady showed up. By the way, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, I saw a little bit this morning, Tom Brady's gal, Giselle, has moved on. She's with some swab, with some, uh, swab guy down in, I don't know, Costa Rica. Yeah, he looks good, too. He's swab, debonair. He looked like a million bucks, this guy. Giselle ain't messing around. She don't care. She's moved on to a look like a very, very dapper, suave businessman. Don't know his name. Don't know where he's from. Saw a picture. Thought, hmm, that figures. All right, let's go on. The Vikings and the Bills played the greatest game in the history of the world. And Justin Jefferson is the greatest wide receiver in the history of the world. And what did I tell you about the eyes of Josh Allen? I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm right, but if you've watched this show going back to the golf, uh, when Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen all played, I told you I didn't like the eyes of Josh Allen. All Josh Allen did yesterday was throw a couple interceptions and, my God, the fumble. Fumbled in his own end zone. Fumbled in his own freaking end zone for a touchdown when you're basically kneeling it down and then he throws an interception to, oh, by the way, what a player, Patrick Patterson. Wow. Patrick Patterson, terrific. But the story of the day was Justin Jefferson. Let's not, let, 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 let's be honest. Justin Jefferson is a bad, bad man. Now, seriously, that dude goes up and makes plays and Kirk Cousins, you can dislike him and I'm sure Gary and the rest, he'll disappoint you inside joke. He'll disappoint you eventually. But Kirk Cousins, to me, looks pretty damn good. I don't know what to tell you. Look really good. That was the greatest game maybe ever played. If you just if that game was in the Super Bowl, it'd be the greatest game ever played. If that game was AFC Championship game, it'd be the greatest game ever played. But here we are, what, early November, middle of November? You can't get there yet, but you should because it was that kind of good. I mean, this guy, the guy, who made the catch in this picture? Number 18. Now, I want you to think about that. And then the beauty of it is he had to roll over and hold it over off the ground because of that idiotic, you got to hold it through the ground thing. This is unbelievable. This is incredible. Man. Woo! Doggies. That was as good a game as you are ever 
going to see. I'm moving quick here, people. Titans and the Broncos. Uh, You know how it ended? Let me tell you. Five-yard line interception, Russell Wilson. There are just some days in your life, some years as a coach or a player, and it just ain't going your way. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett, another one loss or another close game. You know what? It wasn't even Derrick Henry. It was the fact that the front seven of the Titans are just men. Jeffrey Simmons is a man. Danico Autry is a man. These dudes are as hard to stop as any in the NFL. I'd put money on them. Now, I don't know how good they are. Tannehill threw two touchdowns. But you got to give that defensive front credit. And I'm telling you, man, Nathaniel Hackett, they need to stay with him. They do. Because as my peaks and valleys, right now you're in a bad valley. Peak is coming, I think, maybe, unless, of course, he's washed up. Then there won't be no peak. I don't like the way I'm looking, but you know what? I literally sat inside all day and watched football. Ah, uh, I was really happy. No, I wasn't. I wanted to be really happy for Mike McCarthy. He comes back into, into the Packers, into Lambeau, got a chance to get it done, and then Dak Prescott is the same thing. Dak Prescott is, is no different than Josh Allen yet. I mean, they got great numbers. They're big, they're strong, they're tough. They do commercials. Yay, Rod, go fight, win, and then they lose. That's what happens. I'm sorry. I'm going to get into a college quarterback like that, too. I saw a college quarterback that you can't win with. You're not going to believe who it is, but you're going to see that I'm right. Well, I'm already right about it. But anyway, so the Packers have a chance to lose. I mean, seriously, they have a chance to lose. They have a chance to pack it in. Five-game losing streak, right? Five-game losing streak, they can't do squat, Uh, they're getting beat. That is when you can absolutely pack it in. But you know what? Earlier in the week, Aaron Rodgers said something interesting. You know what he said? Hey, man, I'm the two-time reigning MVP. Don't forget about me. And you know what Aaron Rodgers did? I'm going to give you some numbers here. I'm going to make sure I got them right. But Aaron Rodgers only completed 14 of 20 passes. That's it. But let me tell you the difference between the Aaron Rodgers-led Packers and whoever you want to say is leading the Bears. And I'm not putting Justin Fields in there because Justin Fields is a badass. Justin Fields is not leading the Bears. He is dominating the Bears. He's doing everything for the Bears. So whoever's leading the Bears can figure out how to screw it up. Anyway, long story short, remember this name, Christian Watson. He's on fire now. And then last night, it was, an, it was uh, very, very, very abusive. It was abuse of a charger. It was. Like, let's be honest. If you watched that game last night, you saw the Chargers' defensive front go down and down and down. And then you saw Christian McCaffrey only get 35 yards, but you saw 170-some yards out of the rushing – 157 yards, excuse me, out of the rushing attack of San Francisco, and they just dominated the action. And you can kiss my backside. Jimmy Garoppolo's good enough, but I will tell you this. Jimmy Garoppolo can't play against the Blitz. If you play against the – if you play against the 49ers and you don't Blitz, you dumb as me. Seriously, and I'm dumb. Oh, hell, I'm dumb. Hey, let's jump over the college football headlines, and let me get to a couple headlines that I absolutely love. You ready, Dylan? This is going to be – we're going to move this bad boy around. Pat Perez. Do you know who Pat Perez is? 
I love Pat Perez. Pat Perez waited, waited, waited. The next thing you know, he calls out Tiger Woods. Look at my guy Dylan. Pat Perez says, yeah. Do you remember when Tiger Woods was whining about all the money going to the live tour and how players weren't going to earn it in the dirt? Pat Perez says, yeah. Tiger, you came out. You are flying Nike's jet. You came out. You had millions in the bank. Didn't stop you from having incentive. Stupidest I've ever heard is what Pat Perez said. And he's damn right. He couldn't be more right. What Tiger says, what these players are doing for guaranteed money, what is the incentive to practice? What is the incentive to go out there and earn it in the dirt? You're just getting paid a lot of money and playing golf and playing 45 events. Pat Perez said this. That's the stupidest I've ever heard in my life. That's one of the stupidest things he has said. The incentive is the fact that last place is $120,000, first place is $4 million. You can't win $4 million on the PGA Tour. Next year you might because they finally got their perks. But last time I checked, Tiger Woods signed a $40 million deal right out of college, was flying on a Nike jet. He found incentives. He could have just shut it down right there. Good for Patrick Perez. Somehow Tiger Woods has gone from being this guy that was stooping the Perkins girl to a Buddhist monk that we're all supposed to pay attention to. Will you explain that to me? You can't. It's impossible. Uh, By the way, it's been nearly a week and we still don't have votes counted in Arizona and a number of different places. You think they're cheating? Of course they're cheating. New York, my friend, Lindsay Nanden, how does she walk in, not have to show an ID and vote? How does Florida get ballots in one day? And Arizona, you guys can't. You guys are ridiculous. You're cheating. Nothing will be done, but I'll just sit here and I will call it out. I hope Carrie Lake wins. She won't. Voting harvesting, all that crap that everybody's going to deny. Look, it's very simple. How do you have mail-in ballots after the election? How do you do that? How do you not have voter ID? It's just stupid. And if you're calling me a racist for asking for voter ID, then you're dumber and more racist than anybody could possibly be because it's just common freaking sense. Uh, I've got one last video. Don't watch if you don't want to. This is a tragedy. Wings over Dallas. Wings over Dallas uh, the other day. Six people killed. Horrific. I got to show it to you because, well, you know, it's big news. It's just terrible. I mean, I, can you imagine being there? Are we showing that or are we not showing that? We don't have to show that if you don't want to. I, I don't care. But six, not good. We don't need to show it. Six people were killed. Planes doing an air show. Happened in Chicago. I believe it was Chicago a few years ago. I hate it. I, I, I'm glad we're not showing it. Good for us. Uh, all right, last week, Mike Griffith came on here and was absolutely stunning with his genius, absolutely electric with his enthusiasm. We're talking some college foots, baby. We're not messing around. We're talking college football right now. Georgia, number one in the country, reestablished its dominance. Tennessee, I got to tell you, you put 66 up on an SEC game, I got to talk about you. Um, Hendon Hooker, I got to talk about you for the Heisman. Ohio State looked okay. We'll get into all of this at Mike Griffin32 joins us next. Buckle up, grab a cup of coffee, and let's get serious about college football. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Uh, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Griffin is on the air. Yes, sir, best. The best, the absolute best background in the history of this show. Um, we aspire to have his background. Mike, we're, 
Uh, Atlanta Constitution, Dog Nation. Let's talk about the dogs. What was your thought uh, going into uh, Stark Vegas, getting it done, workmanlike, and then a route? What did you think? Well, that's one of the most satisfying victories for Kirby Smart that he's had this season. And you might look at 45 to 19 and, and look at Mississippi State, six and four, and say, What are you talking about? But that's a team that had not lost at home this season. That's a team that threw a lot of curveballs with a very unique 3 3 5 set. You're playing Mike Leach. He's a little bit eccentric off the field, he's even more eccentric on the field. Kind of a tough guy to figure. As Kirby Smart says, he knows his offense better than you know any defense that can adjust. And, and this was a battle. Mississippi State took advantage of some clock management uh, mistakes on Georgia's part at the end of the first half, ran back a punt, and all of a sudden it's 17-12 at halftime in Starkville. You're hearing the cowbells, you know, temperatures dropping to close to freezing, and Mississippi State's feeling like they've got a chance to shock the world. I mean, when is Starkville ever on the national map? Does anybody ever go there on purpose? No. But they have an opportunity to capture the national audience, television audience, and upset the Georgia Bulldogs except for one thing. Kirby Smart reaches deep at halftime. He says, guys, got to respond, got to win at the line of scrimmage. Dan, you know this is a coach. Nothing more satisfying than calling your troops together, saying, I got to have you. And two plays in, 70-yard, end-around, touchdown, dogs. Next position, touchdown. Georgia responds. And those are the most satisfying wins, not when the other team rolls over, not when you put 66 on the scoreboard with a touchdown in the last minute, when you've got a game opponent and you feel you're back against the wall, a season on the line, hostile environment on the road, and your team steps up and flexes what Kirby Smart calls the composure muscle. I mean, I love the, the, the coaches, they come up with all that. you got a composure muscle. you got a resiliency muscle. Kirby Smart says, this is why we work in the offseason. And you saw that against Mississippi State and what could have been uh, an upset type of game had Georgia not responded to Kirby's message at halftime. Well, I, I, coaches, football coaches use words better than any other coach, right? You got to win at the line of scrimmage. You know, I'll, you know defend every blade of grass. They, they do. And, and I'm watching that game. Mike used to call it an enema game. It's like, oh, oh, gee, oh, you know, you're just, you know, you're, you're, it's just what it, we used to call it that. We're like, hey, this is going to be an enema one. This is going to be one of those where it's just, it, it ain't going to, and it, people think that the national champion always wins 65 to 12 every week. They always have games like that, particularly on the road in conference. Yeah, especially this Georgia team. I mean, you got to look at what Kirby Smart's done. And, I, and I've got a poll up for SEC Coach of the Year. And listen, Josh Heupel has done an amazing job. And, and they're one of the four best teams in the country, and they belong in the playoff. And we're going to have an opportunity to talk about the Vols here in a little bit. But you got to look at what Kirby's done. Now, this is America, where being the best used to be the most valued thing. Then came along AYSO soccer and participation trophies. And somehow Kirby Smart, despite the job that he's done, isn't the favorite to win coach in the year, Dan. He's, he's undefeated. He's number one in the nation. But look a little bit deeper here. Georgia lost 15 guys to the NFL draft. No coach has ever lost that much talent in one NFL draft. Then you plug in that we're in this transfer generation. Georgia lost 13 guys in the portal. Four of them were former starters. They definitely would have been too deep. So not only did you lose 15 starters, you lost 13 to the portal. And oh, by the way, he lost four assistant coaches off of his staff. That's 40% including his defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, done a pretty good job out there with the Ducks. So 
you were looking at a, a, a reload. Georgia fans don't like to call it a rebuild because they think they're above rebuilding. They're reloading, but still. And then your best player, Jalen Carter, he's playing on a bad foot all year, misses a couple tough games. Guess what? He's back. You're winning with the quarterback that nobody else wanted. Say what you want about Stetson Bennett, all right? But he stuck up a lot of people's rear ends. None of the SEC schools offered this guy a scholarship. I don't even think he had a Power 5 offer. He was headed to Louisiana to play for Billy Napier before Georgia called in 2019 and said, hey, we need a backup quarterback. Justin Fields left us high and dry. Can you come in and hold the clipboard for Jake Fromm? And Stetson comes, and he, and he sits, and he's fourth string. And then suddenly he's plugged in, and now you've got this guy that nobody else wanted. No other Power 5 offered a scholarship. Not only is he the championship game MVP, he's the Orange Bowl MVP. Stop Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. Comes back this year and somehow is better, has improved his mechanics, has improved his footwork. And, okay, maybe he's not going to be on your fantasy football team or maybe not even an NFL roster. But what he's doing at the college level, I mean, this is amazing stuff. And if Stetson Bennett is not in New York as one of the five finalists, then I'm a voter, okay? I'm going to tell you, he's not in my top three right now. And I don't expect him to win it, Dan. But if this guy's not one of the five finalists after what he's accomplished for Georgia and Georgia wins out, th- then I think people really need to take a look at, at what this award is really all about. I mean, this kid has done so much with so little, and you got to give Kirby Smart credit because he was the coach that believed in this guy and gave him the opportunities. Mike, I, I would argue, I would also say this. Again, I, I, I don't know, but this is my sense when I was watching the game. Stetson Bennett has gotten more athletic. I feel like he's gotten quicker to me. I, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe he's always been that. But when I watched him yes, or, uh, Saturday, first thing that hit me was, man, he's a lot quicker than I thought. He seems a lot more athletic, Mike. Yeah, and that's what Kirby's seen, you know, in practices all along. Now, listen, I, I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite. I thought JT Daniels was a better quarterback last year. You know, that guy's got the record for pass efficiency rating in Georgia history. He was undefeated. He was 7-0. and But he was banged up. He was injured. He was in. He was out. And Kirby is all about consistency at the position. Now, I thought there were times they should have put JT in. I thought JT could have won more convincingly in the postseason. You know, but Kirby believed in Stetson Bennett, and he wants the mobility at that position. And if you don't believe in quarterback mobility, then you haven't seen Justin Fields and what he's done now that he's decided to turn those <laughs> legs loose. I mean, what Justin Fields, this is a conversation for a whole nother day, but what Justin has oh. done, and, and yes, they lost to the Lions, but you watch this guy play and you're like, where is this? It's always been there. But when these guys decide to use their legs and that's what Stetson can do. And you've seen more of that this year. This is a big part of the Georgia offense. And Oh, by the way, Everybody wants to talk Tennessee. I get it. What Josh has done is amazing. But look a little deeper. You'll see George is one of the top efficient teams on offense as well. Kirby Smart, 55-1 and one when Georgia scores 30 or more points. Nobody's talking about that. I don't, I don't get it, man. I feel like people are kind of missing the story with this year's Georgia football team. I think people oftentimes get complacent with massive success. Speaking of that, all right, I'm going to give you your four. Walk me through Georgia, Ohio State. You've okay. got Tennessee – up there at number three, TCU, and then I'll add a fifth, which yeah. is Michigan. Yeah, I like Georgia at number one for obvious reasons. I give Ohio State the nod at two. I, I like C.J. Stroud. I, I, I favor quarterbacks. I'm going to admit I'm a little I'm a little biased there. I think Tennessee is the third best team in the country. And and listen, if the, if the season ended today, Tennessee would not be in the college football playoff. To be clear because of the way that the structure is set up in conference championship games, 
et cetera, et cetera. And then you get into kind of that philosophical debate about should it be the four best or should it be the four most deserving? And what's the point of conference championship games if we're not going to use them as a de facto for the playoffs? So I like Tennessee right now as the third best team in the country. I like TCU fourth. They went into Texas. They weren't supposed to win. Game day was there. Steve Sarkeesian pitches this all gas, no breaks offense. I keep looking up at the scoreboard. They got a zero next to it at home against a TCU team that's not supposed to be there. Look, I like Michigan. I really do, Dan. But and, and it doesn't everybody love the winged helmets. I mean, I grew up in the state. Everybody loves the uniform. But you got to play somebody. And Jim Harbaugh did his did himself and his football team a disservice with this horrible scheduling. I mean, this is what's costing Michigan right now. And this could ultimately cost Michigan a playoff spot. If they lose close to the Ohio State, I said it, the Ohio State, if they lose a close game and it comes down to a one-loss Michigan or a one-loss Tennessee, they're going to take Tennessee based on the schedule, right? And if Michigan had gone out and played a better non-conference schedule, I mean, Ohio State played Notre Dame. you got to give Ohio State credit for playing that game. Michigan's playing, like, Hawaii, uh, UConn. Like, what, what are you doing here, man? I mean, you're doing a disservice to the people that buy season tickets at Michigan Stadium, by the way. Some of the most loyal ever. They were packing in over 100,000 when Sparty was kicking their ass. And now that they're good, you should be playing better teams and giving your team the best possible opportunity. But if Michigan wins out and takes care of business, they're in. And the scheduling doesn't matter. And we can all call Jim Harbaugh a genius. And the contract will finally be worth it. Last year, they made it. They got there. They got to play Georgia. They got to see where the bar was set. Could have been 50 or 60 to, to 7 or 3 or 11 or whatever. Oh, by the way, score Michigan had late. This year's Michigan team has a chance, though, Dan, to finally get this program where a lot of people has thought that it's been. And it hasn't been. For a long time, you got to go back to Lloyd Carr in 1997. And, oh, by the way, I do think Nebraska would have beat Michigan that year. You know, I love the shots. I love the shots in there. When Michigan State was kicking their ass, they get 101,000. I caught them. I caught all the shots in there. I, I got them. Um, does, does style points, a.k.a. USC running it up late, Tennessee going for a late touchdown – my thing is this, and I always, when I was a coach in our meetings, I'd say, look, if you kick me by 50, I'm not going to complain. If I kick you by 50, I don't want to hear about it. You know what I mean? I mean, we're playing. The style points matter in this? Did USC help themselves? Well, you're, you're a night guy, though, you know, and that was all about the W, right, Coach? And that's a whole other topic for another. Yeah, they do matter. Nowadays, they do matter. Theoretically, they shouldn't matter. And they can sit there and say that, that, you know, well, we don't really consider margin of victory beyond XX. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You're going to look at the rankings because every week we listen to Boo Corrigan or, or pick your guy, Rob Mullins, or whatever, whatever poor guy thinks, and who, by the way, thinks it's a good idea to be the chairman. Like, they want that role without realizing that they're going to turn into the human pinata every November. Because it doesn't matter what you say. There is going to be some very upset factions of college football with your ranking. Because, Dan, there is no right answer. There is no right answer right now. And you know why? Because there's not preset standards and metrics in place. It changes. It's fluid from year to year. Kirby Smart said it best after 2018. It's different every year. They keep moving the goal. What is it? Uh, is it offense? I'll tell you what. It is. It's offense. Because when that committee chairman was talking about USC, he mentioned Caleb Williams by name. He mentions Ohio State's explosive offense. These guys are looking at the most simple, low-hanging fruit, uh, number of points scored, 
Who has the Heisman Trophy guy? Is this good? Is this bad? I don't know, but it sells. It's what they want in ratings. And quite frankly, it's what keeps college football in business. So I don't know that I can really throw them under the bus for that. But at the same time, I'm a little nervous that the metrics change and they can kind of change the rules. Well, last week you said this team was ahead of my team because they scored more points. But this week you're saying it's defense. You're right. You figured it out. It's going to change every single week. And the only poll that matters comes out on December 4th. Right now, though, there's a lot of lobbying. There's a lot of squawking because there's a lot of teams looking at this saying, man, are we going to get left out? I don't hang on everybody's every word, but I don't think they've said, you know, I really like so-and-so because they play a tough, ferocious defense. I don't think they do. I, I could be wrong. I, all right, here's your four. Your four for the playoff, ladies and gentlemen. Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Clemson. That's how you project it, right, Mike? Yeah, and that's how I project it finishing. I want to be clear. Those are not the four best yeah. teams right now. That is not how I would vote it today. But that's how I think it's going to end up finishing because I think TCU is going to lose. I think they're going to lose to Baylor, Iowa State. or in the, I don't believe. I'm sorry, TCU. What you've done is remarkable. Horn Frogs is a really cool nickname, and, and your purple colors are pretty neat. But I don't think you're going to run the table. There's been too many close calls. You've been walking too fine of a line. So I think TCU is going to lose the game. USC controls its destiny. If the Trojans can win out and beat UCLA and beat Notre Dame and win a Pac-12, but they just lost their best rusher, Travis Dye. I like Caleb Williams a lot. I think he's talented. But that is a tough road to hoe. And I think the odds are against USC winning out. Now, Tennessee's going to win out, okay? And I think Clemson's going to win out. And I don't think Clemson's one of the four best teams, but I think they're going to win the ACC championship game. And I think that championship game is going to be highly valued. Also, helps Clemson that North Carolina only has one loss and keeps creeping closer and closer to the top 10, and that makes that look like more of a quality win for Clemson. If Clemson can finish strong and win the ACC championship and TCU loses and and Michigan loses, by the way, I got Michigan losing, uh, a a one-loss Ohio State might be a different story there because they did play Notre Dame, and they do have that Heisman guy, right? But that's how I see it, Dan. That's projecting it right now. Right now, people are looking at what are you talking about? That's not who the four best teams are. That's not what I would have today. But as I forecast the season, I think USC is going to lose. I think TCU is going to lose. I think Michigan's going to lose. And I think Clemson's going to get the bump into that four spot as a conference champion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you could have gone a lot of different ways, and I would have agreed with you. you. You know, one thing about USC, and you mentioned this, you know, you mentioned schedule. Um, USC, really, if, I, I know you don't necessarily want to do it, but what a great opportunity for them with UCLA, even though UCLA crapped the bed, and an up-and-coming Notre Dame team. That's a good opportunity to solidify your, your strength of schedule and put you right there late. Right. And, and that's what people will be talking about at the end. You know, right now that's kind of hard to see. But to your point, this is very much yeah. a week to week thing. Like what we think today, I go back to 2018 as a perfect example. 2018 Alabama, and, I, and Clemson fans like still throw darts at me for this, but 2018 Alabama was the greatest regular season team in the history of college football. And you might say, what, what are you, wait a minute, they didn't win the title. You're right, they didn't even win the title. But they beat everybody by 20 or more points, Dan. That hadn't happened since like the 1800s with Yale. Go back and look it up. 
Nobody was stopping Tua. Nobody was stopping that Bama. I remember going to the Alabama-Auburn game and watching Tua turn. I said, oh, my God, nobody's going to beat these guys. And then Georgia hits the guy's ankle early in the SEC title game, and it's a touchdown game. And all of a sudden, Alabama ain't Alabama anymore. They get by and win that game, but they don't look the same without a healthy Tua. And then Clemson and Trevor Lawrence just completely embarrassed them in the national championship game. So all I'm saying is, as things are right now, that's great. But things have a way of changing in November. All it takes is one player, one locker room dynamic. You look at NIL right now, and this is another. You look at the transfer portal coming up first week of December. Listen, you don't want to hear it, but there's 20 or 20 or 30 guys on every team, your favorite team right now, that are written ready to put their name in the transfer portal the first week of December. Who are those guys? What effect do they have on their teammates? Will they be called upon and not be prepared in the next two or three weeks because of next man up? There are a lot of dynamics right now for coaches to manage more than ever before. And it's going to have an effect. I'm telling you, you're seeing it right now. You're seeing Texas A&M going to the toilet. You know why? Because some kids are getting paid. Some kids ain't getting paid. And that locker room chemistry is going off the rails. Mike, that's exactly right. Uh, that, 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 you know, there's talk now Wisconsin, star running back. Who's tampering with him? I mean, there is no question. And when you have an interim coach like they have at Wisconsin or you got a coach in trouble like Jimbo Fisher, sharks smell blood, baby. And there's a lot of sharks in college football and they ain't messing around. All right, last, last thing. I know you got to go. Get off Brian Kelly's ass, everybody. Get off his ass. What he's done is remarkable. It is remarkable. you got to give LSU a ton of credit. I mean, the quarterback gets sacked seven times. They still went on the road at Arkansas. Let me tell you, that's a hostile environment. Sam Pittman at Arkansas is one of you can make all the Walmart jokes you want. Let me tell you, if you haven't been to northwest Arkansas lately, they are building an empire. That area of the country is taking off. I would invest if I had the money in northwest Arkansas. You don't think they got a little bit of NIL money? Jerry Jones, line one. Sam Pittman is a guy served milk and cookies at his coaching interview. Everybody loves this guy. I said he ought to be a character in Ozark because you go to his house and there's milk and cookies on the table. There's a fire going in the fireplace, a warm handshake, and you think you see an arm coming out of the ground in the backyard. How does Sam Pittman present such a warm, friendly front and those Razorbacks go out there and play like demons every Saturday? Those are the coaches that scare you. Those are, oh, yeah, Tom is. Oh, he's a real nice guy. Got a joke in his mouth. Yeah, go to one of his practices sometime. Find out what Tom Izzo and those Spartans are all. You know what I'm saying here, Dan. I'm giving him credit because nobody else does, by the way. All we hear is Michigan, Ohio State. We talked about that last week. we got to hit the reset button on the Big Ten. There's a lot of great stories out there. People just don't hear all of them all the time. Mike, thanks, man. Really fun, fun, fun 20 minutes, man. Thank you so much. Look forward to it, man. Thanks. Oh, that's some good stuff. At Mike Griffin 32. Give him a follow on Twitter. I, I, give him a follow on Twitter, whether you're a football fan or not. Just a great follow. Uh, I got some stock up and stock down, and I didn't put this guy in there, and I feel bad about it. You know what? Anybody watch Texas? Let me tell you. I have a saying, and I hate to do this. I'm feeling bad. I shouldn't do it. But Quinn Ewers is good enough to get you fired. Now, if you don't know who Quinn Ewers is, and I didn't tell Dylan this. I meant to put this in. I forgot. But Quinn Ewers is the quarterback for Texas Stockdown. Keeps falling down. I mean, making enough bad plays. I understand he's a hero in Texas. He played well against Alabama. <clears throat> but, man, he's good enough to get you fired. I'm sorry. He just is. He's, he's good enough to get you fired. And 
I hate to say it about a kid, but I don't know that he's a kid, man. He took a million dollars from Ohio State NIL money, went back to Texas. I know you all love him, but he's good enough to get you fired. He's the next Jacob Eason. That's all I'm telling you. He's the next Jacob Eason. And if you don't know who Jacob Eason is, there's a reason for that. He's the number one quarterback coming out of high school. Quinn Ewer is good enough to get you fired. All right, stock up. I don't know what to tell you, but Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins, you can make fun of Gary, our boss, Kirk Cousins all you like, Gary, our boss, and say that Kirk Cousins is going to screw it up and that they win in spite of him, Gary, our boss. Well, I got to tell you, all I know is this. Kirk, Kirk Cousins was dropping dimes. Now, the catch that Jefferson made up here was insane, but the throw to the two-yard line, yeah, I think it was this way, to the two-yard line was unfreaking believable Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, stock the hell up. Greatest game ever played? That's a catch by number 18. I just want you to think about that for just a second. Number 18 makes this catch. Explain that one to me, Spanky. That's unbelievable. I, I could have had a V8. But whatever it was, they got it. And then when I see them dancing and they're doing all that stuff in the plane, I, what's not to like this team? And the biggest acquisition was a man named Ryan Grigson. They brought Grigson in. Next thing you know, they're tough. Ten catches, 193 yards for Jefferson. Are you, are you insane? Stock way up. Dan Campbell, stock up. Look, I've criticized the big meat. I've criticized big meat. That's his name, Big Meat. But I got to tell you, Big Meat yesterday uh, in Indianapolis, Matt Eberflus, all the little media guys called him Flus. All the little media guys said uh, Flus. All right, well, what? Flus, okay. Uh, what's Flus? Well, Flus sucks. He sucked here at Indiana- Indianapolis, and he's a friend of my wife's. But when you suck, you suck. Great guy, fantastic guy. But I got to tell you, it wasn't his fault that they blew the game. Justin Fields was fantastic, except for one ill-advised throw to his former teammate, Jeff Acuna. But the Bears just are one of those teams. Are the Bears one of those teams that just knows how to lose? The answer is yes. So stock up, Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell went through all the losing, all the jokes, all the get fired, and he's won two in a row. Just won his first road game, down 14 in the fourth quarter. I watched every second of it. Yeah, the Bears gave it away, but that's who the Bears apparently are. And I've been a Bears fan my entire freaking life. Stock up. You don't know this name, but I got to throw some college basketball in here. Foster Lawyer, son of John Lawyer. I got to tell you, brother of Fletcher Lawyer, who's at Purdue. This guy played, ladies and gentlemen, at Michigan State. People booed him. Oh, boo. You're not good enough. Little white guys playing college basketball get booed by all the other little white guys. And you see, he's just a little white guy. Now, every little white guy on campus uh, thinks that they're better than the little white guy that's playing on the team. So when the little white guy doesn't play great, he gets crushed. It's just the way it is. Ask Dane Fife, me, anybody. Anyway, so this guy's only averaging 34, 7, and 6.5. And now, ladies and gentlemen, he's not going to average that. But Foster Lawyer was Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan. He goes to Michigan State. It doesn't end well. He transfers, and he's great. I hope he keeps being great. Also, side note, stock up to my boys at Illinois State Basketball. They just won two straight real road games. Real road games. Non-conference real road games. 
Duke hasn't played two con- non-conference real road games since Shashevsky since had black hair, and he still does. Oh, I could add a V8. Stock down, Jimbo Fisher. Just stop. Offense can't score. Good for Cadillac Williams, interim coach. Auburn gets the win. Jimbo's team's a mess. As Mike Griffins just said, transfer portal is coming. Uh, December 5th, half his team will leave. The dynamic of some getting paid, some not getting paid. And don't think for a second, and you're not going to hear this anywhere else. Don't think for a second. Going back to this summer, when Nick Saban, talked about Texas A&M buying their team in front of a group of boosters. Everybody made it about Jimbo and Nick, and it was. But Saban's smart. He put it in the brains of Texas A&M that some are getting paid and some aren't. These freshmen are coming in, getting paid. You upperclassmen aren't. Look, college basketball externally is freaking awesome. Internally, it's rotten to the core, and it's getting more rotten. But that's what our announcers wanted. That's what a bunch of dudes that never played or coach wanted. So we got to acquiesce to 18 to 23-year-olds and their whims. God bless you. Stock up. Jim Mora's going bowling. You didn't even know Jim Mora was at UConn. You didn't know that. I watched UConn early in the year. I did. I watched them play Syracuse. I thought they were horrible. But I also thought they were without their quarterback. It was at a time when Syracuse was good because the Schrader kid at quarterback was playing. But Jim Mora has just stayed the course, got his quarterback back. He's an athletic kid that can run it, throw it. And when you got that, you got a chance. Jim Mora has taken what is probably the worst football program, uh, Power Five, I guess, if you want to call them that, a team that because its football program is so bad couldn't find a conference. And he has taken them to a bowl. See, I like when things like that happen. I like when guys like Jim Moore are moving around a little bit, and next thing you know, they're having great success at a place where nobody wanted the job. And let's be honest, nobody wanted that job. There's some pros. You see the screaming Dan Ovlosky every day yelling and screaming at us, trying to show us that he's smart, auditioning for coaching jobs. Uh, Donald Brown was a first-round draft choice, and a great dude. Not a good dude. Donald Brown was a great dude as a running back with the Colts from UConn. Uh, But UConn, the job stinks. But Jim Mora has come in there, and he has been great. Stock up, by the way, to Jonathan Taylor. Here's why. Jonathan Taylor yesterday, for some reason, this was odd. Jonathan Taylor running back of the Colts. Now, everybody and their mother knew the Colts were going to run the ball. But on your betting sites, the number over under for Jonathan Taylor started out at 73. Then it went down to 68. If it seems too good, it is. Well, I bet the living nutsack off of it at 78. I'm sorry, at 73. But when it went down, I thought to myself, huh. But early in that game, you could see that Jonathan Taylor, and that line was different this week than last. Jonathan Taylor was going to break one. We told you on Twitter, oh, man. And the new offensive coordinator, Parker Stevenson, or whatever his name is, understood it. Look at this picture. Look at Dylan and Ryan just coming up with something when I just threw him a curveball. But Jonathan Taylor eventually broke one, 69 yards, rushed for like 170, whatever it was. Didn't matter. Good for Jonathan Taylor because I would argue that Jonathan Taylor is the nicest guy going. I would argue that when healthy, Jonathan Taylor, in my world, 
is the most complete football player that I have seen since Walter Payton. Walter Payton's the best football player I have ever seen. Block, he'll tackle you if you intercept, he'll catch it. Hell, Walter Payton, look him up, probably had six or seven touchdown passes, and then he's the best running back I ever saw. Everybody has their own. But this guy is the closest thing as an all-around football player. Stock up, really glad to see him have a day. Obviously, stock up, Jeff Saturday, stock down, Bill Cower, go yourself. All right, we come back. Jonathan Hutton, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, from Outkick 360. I don't know how they do it, but the Titans just keep winning. I don't know how they're not doing it, but Hendon Hooker should be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy and get his thoughts on the Jeff Saturday victory to start his career. Jonathan Hutton, Outkick 360, next. Salud. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it is hour number two on a Monday, which means Outkick 360 in the house. The great Jonathan Hutton joins. All right, let's get right to it. We were talking off air. So much more fun when the home team, when you're a radio host, the home team wins as opposed to yelling and screaming. You guys, the Titans, they just keep winning, big boy. Well, they they win, and it is always a a battle, right? Like it's not going to be easy. They're 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 the same as the Vikings, but not as exciting as the Minnesota Vikings. They're winning close games, but it's seventeen to ten instead of the game of the year in Buffalo, right? And you know, for so long here in Nashville, it the talk was, are they ever just going to get back to five hundred? It, it was bad. And they, they found the right coach, and now they're winning these tight games because they're winning on the sideline first or three. I think that point, and I, I think uh, Jeff Saturday did that this week by coming in back against the wall. No reason to go on the road and win. And, hey, Josh McDaniels proved he's not a very good head coach. I got to tell you, from a coaching perspective, there was a fumble late in that game that this freaking I, I, I would have cut I would have had the guy cut right now number 58 I'm not even going to say his name for the Raiders had a chance to just fall on and the Raiders win the game he tries to pick it up and Pittman comes back and gets it I got to tell you I'm with you on McDaniel's by the way but I swear to God I I would have cut that guy by the time he got to the locker room if I had the authority but to your point. Saturday did bring a different energy, and hey, uh, a win is a win is a win. Hey, and you know, back to uh, cutting that player just briefly, I mean, if they cut anyone else, I don't know who's left. They've cut every first-round pick over like the last three years in (laughs) Vegas. So, uh, and and hey, uh, Jeff Saturday, just briefly, and I know you've probably hit on this, I respect him a, a lot, and I did prior to kickoff, based on how he handled all of last week. You can generally tell, and it's, I think you'll agree, you can generally tell, Dan, if someone's being genuine about why they're doing something. Why does he want the job? He wants the job. I mean, of course he wants to be a head coach, but he wants the Colts job, not an NFL job. And I think, I mean, when he says that, I believe him. There's a realness to him. He's not fake. He's not acting. And he's empowering his players and his coaches to take ownership of the overall product that they're producing. Playing Matt Ryan was the right move. Uh, we saw this whenever uh, 
just from experience, Mike Malarkey took over as the interim. Granted, he was within the locker room, took over as the interim for Ken Wisenhunt, who wouldn't look you in the eye if you passed him in a hallway. And uh, Malarkey was the exact opposite. And so I think that was the real challenge for Saturday was he was coming in from the outside. And granted, he knew Matt, he knew uh, Frank Wright and he knew some of the players, but there's no way that he had a good grasp of what he was walking into just based on what Jim Mercy was telling him. And uh, I, I also give hats off to the coaching staff who did the right thing and did their job because there were a lot of other coaches around the league, media members, uh, former players that were saying, you know, he's got to win over the coaching staff first. And I'm thinking this coaching staff should should coach. And they did because Jeff Saturday allowed them to. To your point, here's where I the here's where I got with Saturday. When a friend of mine told me, don't be surprised, it started out with don't be surprised if Matt Ryan doesn't come in quick. And then it became, man, I, I'm 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 thinking Matt Ryan's gonna start. He's inside the Colts deal. And once I heard that, I got down with Saturday because everybody in that building knows that Sam Ellinger is a backup, maybe not even. He's fine, you know. But that Matt Ryan was the best choice. And for Saturday to just say, screw it, I'm doing this, that's where I'm like, all right, I'm all in on Saturday. Because you're there to win, let's be honest. You're not there to worry about next year or appease. You're simply there to win every game in the NFL. That's it. That's it. And, you know, for those that say the Colts were tanking, they were doing a pretty good job of losing by keeping Frank Reich around. Um, now you could lose worse, I guess, you know, you can go all the way to the bottom and play for the first pick in the, in the draft by playing Houston at the end of the year, I guess, Dan, that, that would qualify as tanking. And maybe that's what some people were hoping for. Maybe not, but I, I thought yeah, you're right. Playing, playing Matt Ryan and the way he had, I thought the way he handled it was what made last week really well done by, by him because he admitted after the game yesterday that he knew by kind of Thursday watching Ryan throw the football that he was going to play him, and then he came back and did it again Friday, and then he waited until Friday evening. Then Saturday came, they travel, and he said he already knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to run it by the entire staff. And so by doing that, he's not coming in and just mandating, here's what we're doing. He's getting feedback, and he's working that into his overall plan, which he admitted was all crammed together last minute. I I, I thought I, I was very impressed. I don't care who they were playing. Uh, their overall effort, it, it looked like a team that was playing with a new interim head coach. And the postgame locker room wasn't all jubilee and celebration either, which was kind of surprising to me. You know, they didn't, like, carry him off into the into the bus or anything. But he was very matter-of-fact, victory Monday, see you Wednesday, peace. That's exactly how he should be, and you can tell he's he's been there before or within that organization. Hey, let me go this route. You guys – Uh, talk about the general manager, Robinson. I talk about the general manager here in Ballard. Report came out yesterday that Ballard and a guy, Pete Ward, who's a really good guy, I know Pete, uh, tried to talk Ursay out of hiring Saturday. From your perspective, how neutered is Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, by this move and then Saturday you know, at this point, now there's seven games left, six, whatever it is, but at this point, winning everybody over, much to the dismay, or at least the, the recommendation of a GM. You know, there's a, uh, I, I do think, I, I, by the way, I like Ballard. 
um, not, I'm not saying every move he makes. I like his persona. Like, well, I like the fact that he he cares. Um, Frank Reich was just malaise to me. Um, the, the the way he handled the, the post-game locker room in Jacksonville in the final week of the regular season last year is a good example. Uh, same for Carson Wentz. And um, I, I think Reich's a very good coach. I, I thought he missed the point by not focusing on the run instead of the pass, which they did yesterday um, in, in Vegas. Ballard, though, like at the presser this past week, when we talked about it on Outkick 360 with you, you could tell he's just sitting there. He's just sitting there, you know, uh, rubbing the goatee or the, the chin, just thinking, man, like, I have nothing to say here because I didn't need this to happen, didn't want this to happen. I also think, like, he knew that the feedback, that what it was going to be like, right? It was going to be, oh, here's Ursay pulling more strings, um, all, all this. And I think it's also, you mentioned, um, you know, neutered, castrated, whatever you want to call it. His whole plan is officially done. The, whenever he took over to now, it's it's. It, he said this last year in the off season that they've got to go back and reevaluate. I don't think they really did. They didn't address wide receiver. The offensive line got worse. Uh, Matt Ryan, who's a statue, and we all knew that had zero protection, and they did not go through the run game in the offense. They they really set themselves up to fail, I believe, and they were headed down the same path. So. You know, uh, Jim Mercer has been getting a lot of credit this season for what he said for things outside of the organization. Uh, it's just one week, but at least you get a sense of, okay, they've kind of regathered themselves in the locker room, and maybe they win two, three more games than what they would have. Yeah, look, I, I was talking to Rick Venturi, who does the radio, you know, been 100 years in the NFL. He goes, Dan, this is a great situation for Jeff. you got a terrible team to start with, a yeah. really good team, which is an opportunity in the Eagles at home, and then you got a bad team uh, on the other end. So, you know, hey, uh, but here's the deal. And, again, I don't know what's going to happen, and it's a great story today, but for whatever the reason, everybody still chases the freaking Titans. So it begs the question, is Mike Vrabel the best coach in the NFL, and is he, is he the, I don't know, coach of the year again this year? I don't think he's coach of the year this year. Um, I, I think there's too many other candidates that came out of nowhere this year, Dan. So I, I don't think – like it's not like he's up against the same old guys. You know, it's like Belichick in week 11 of last year was the talk of the league for what he was doing record-wise in the AFC East. Belichick's, you know, he's going against Vrabel for that award, and then he fell off, and you've got a couple – this is different. You've got the New York teams – which is going to dominate in that you've got Sirianni in, in Philadelphia. Um, up until yesterday, Mike McCarthy was doing great things in Dallas, considering that we've all got Sean Payton as the next head coach there in a couple of months. And, you know, there, uh, uh, Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins, they're sitting atop the AFC East now. Vrabel's at the he's, – he's in the top tier of coaches on, on Sundays. I, I, I truly believe that. I think the, the, he gives them the edge where it, he's not, he's not going to get out coached. There are games where I think the Titans go in and I'll tell, I would say to you or anybody, there are games where they absolutely have the better coach on the sideline. I never go into a game thinking that Vrabel is significantly 
uh, undermanned in that department on on his staff or with him personally. So especially on defense, they've got one of the top. Their defense is elite, and they do a great job of finding pieces on defense and emphasizing this year, especially special teams. That's why they are where they are. Their offense is not great. It's not good. But their defense shows up every single week. And since they were blown out in Buffalo, they've allowed the fewest points in the NFL. It's it's tremendous. They've only allowed 39 points in the second half of the last six games. That's that's why they're winning games, and it starts with Mike Vrabel. You know, I'm not I, I, I'm not gonna be dumb enough to say that Jeffrey Simmons would have any chance to win this award, but I would say that on a winning team, you can't find a more important guy anywhere across the league that maybe a quarterback, take a quarterback out, than what Jeffrey Simmons is. I'm watching, and I'm like, every time you, you need something, here's this guy doing whatever the heck is needed when it's needed most. He's great. He's about to get paid. It's going to be him and Nick Bosa that will cash in this offseason on defense up front. And, you know, the Titans have waited to pay him, and they're going to pay the price for doing that. The price tag's only going up. He's been playing through injury except for this past Sunday. Yesterday he missed with a, a, an ankle issue. I don't know his status for Thursday night in Green Bay. But, uh, yeah, he, he's top to bottom. He is the best player in the Titans roster. And I, I still think in some NFL circles he's the best player that no one knows about. And that's unfortunate because other than Aaron Donald, I don't. there's not another interior defensive lineman that is as dominant on a weekly basis as Jeffrey Simmons. He is, he's going to grab a lot of the attention when they announce the contract, whenever it is, um, because he, he's, all, he's all in on demanding that, like through his stat line, not, not through like his actions, because he's been team first. The Titans need to reward that dude with uh, a mega deal because he embodies everything they're about. You know, I always look at it this way. I, I, I look at players and I say, all right, would I follow that guy? Like there's a quarterback in Texas, Quinn Ewers, that I'm like, yeah, he's good enough to get you fired. Yeah. The more I watch, eh. And then I watch <laughs> Jeffrey Simmons and I watch your other guy, Hendon Hooker, and I'm like, yeah, I'm following those guys. There's just some guys. And I'm not sure I've ever said, yeah, I would follow a defensive lineman since Dan Hampton back in the 84, 85 Bears, but I'm – Hey, man, those two guys, Hooker and, and Simmons, give me them all day. Hey, man, and, and for Vrabel, the way they, the way they play, their, their whole style, they've got to have a guy like Jeffrey Simmons. Um, I, I think it was imperative that Josh Heupel find a veteran quarterback, um, an older guy. I mean, he's 24 years old. Um, other than Stetson Bennett, he's the oldest quarterback in the SEC. They, they have to find that leadership and that savvy to, you know, go through the fire a bit and figure out a, a, an offense that, I mean, he didn't wait to recruit for that offense. He, he tailored his offense for what he had. And what he had at quarterback was um, a guy who had, you know, struggled at Virginia Tech to even see the field um, and, and barely did in mop-up duty. And he comes to Tennessee prior to Josh Heupel taking over. He sticks around. He doesn't start year one. By the middle of the year, he's the guy. And since then, he's taken off. He's been awesome. And in a week, last week, a lot of offenses were down last week in college football. Tennessee's was not. And they were going against a pretty good Missouri defense. So 
I, I was impressed with how he handled himself coming off the Georgia game because he did not play well against the Bulldogs. Do you think you have to run it up now in college football? I don't know. That, I think that's the point. Like they, I don't know exactly week to week what the committee I, – I know the group of factors, and, and some of that is a common opponent. So, you know, if you're judging what Georgia did to Missouri based on what Tennessee did to Missouri and they haven't played each other, yeah, I, I think you do have to run up the score a bit because the committee's looking at that. Um, you know, in, in this case, we've got the head-to-head. We know who the better team is. But yeah, I mean, I, I would run up the score. And it's not because I'm a you know, a, you know, a, a poor sport or either. I don't know amongst the committee who values points on a stat sheet and who values just good sportsmanship. That it, it's not there's not an asterisk that says you know what we're going to give you bonus points if you have good sportsmanship on Saturday. No, they they want you to dominate and prove that you can dominate to get into the four teams. So. Hey, uh, I would tell Eli Drinkwitz to stop them. He does a lot of talking the offseason. Stop them. And what they did is run it back from the points they posted on Missouri the year prior. You know, uh, I had a great friend, legendary bartender, the great Bob Street. When we would play golf and somebody would want strokes, he'd be, hey, play better. You know what I mean? Play better. Speaking <laughs> of playing better, I got to tell you, I got tired of Mark Stoops early in the year, Jonathan. I, oh. I, I, and, and it does my heart good to see Vandy beat him at Kentucky. Screw him, Mark Stoops. I, I had enough of him. Well, th- th- this is the true basketball coach coming out in you now. Um, I He had reached a point, Dan, where he could talk that mess in Lexington, Kentucky. Think about that. Um, where he's like, you know, we don't need we don't need to hear that we're a basketball school at Kentucky. That back to back Ted Win seasons will do that, and then he's got this. He's got a quarterback who is way overhyped. He has an offense that, for whatever reason, can never get out of like second or third gear, and it takes them a while to get out of first. And defensively, they're pretty good. But it's it's just not good enough week to week across the SEC and their schedule. And, you know, they've got Georgia coming to town this week. It's the national game, 3.30 Eastern CBS. They have Vandy, who is fighting and scratching and clawing throughout the season. And um, a head coach at, at Vanderbilt in Clark Lee that has been putting together this. It's I was going to call it like a 10-point plan. It's like a 100-point plan on how they're going to get back to just relevance. And um, he's he had a run game that could take advantage and control the clock. And, you know, a, a team that was poised to make some plays where I think the beginning of the season last year, they were nowhere close to that. So props to Vandy. Uh, Kentucky was going the opposite way. And, you know, there are two teams that, I feel like the shine is is off a bit, and it's Kentucky and Arkansas this year. I don't think that you know there's any reason to hit the panic button, but they're not they're not exactly continuing that upward trajectory. They've leveled off, and in Kentucky's case, they they've dropped down a bit, back a, back down a level from where they're preseason number two in the East 
Now they're sitting there trying to just be a tier above Vandy and Missouri, and they're not. They're they're right there with them when it comes to postseason mentions. And, um, you know, you're not hearing as much from Lexington from the football fans now. No, and, you know, you got to embrace who you are, baby. I mean, Calipari, that's a, that's a tough one to go after. Now, it would help Calipari and his cause if he wouldn't lose to St. Peter's. But, you know, that's a different right. story. My man, what do you got on the show today? Man, we've got uh, a great show planned. We're going to lead off with all of the discussion across the NFL. Uh, Frank Eisel is going to join us in hour number two. That'll be at 4 o'clock Eastern time. And uh, I love his work. And then later, we're going to get to all the college football discussion, go around the horn a bit and discuss uh, the teams that dropped out of the college football playoff this weekend based on losses and where that stacks up for the SEC, because we know that Georgia and LSU are now playing in, in Atlanta. And here comes USC with a chance to, to backdoor their way in and TCU continues to win. So a lot of discussion, I'm sure some arguments and a, and a lot of fun. I'm enjoying the show, Dan. You're the man. Thank you for having me on Don't At Me. And, and uh, I appreciate uh, always the support for Outkick 360, which starts at 3 Eastern. Uh, I listen every day. I do. I listen every day. Thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate Thanks. you. I do. I listen Outkick 360 every day. It's great. They talk. They argue. They discuss. They get in depth. What's wrong with that? I love it. I do. Speaking of something I love, I'll be the only guy that loves this. Jimbo Fisher, if he did this, I might actually respect him. Moose Muhammad III says he was benched during the team's loss to Louisville. I was benched for wearing arm sleeves, something that my teammates and opponents wear frequently for protection. I apologize to my teammates, fans, and look forward to getting back on the field. Much love. Let me tell you something about this. There's no chance that this guy was taken off the field for just that. Let me give you a little coaching insight. Now, this guy may be a four-point student. This guy may be the greatest human being on the face of the earth, but there is no chance, zero, none, that this happened for just that. I'm guessing it happened because there are probably 20 other things that this guy did that have irritated the coaching staff, and I'm also guessing that his performance didn't outweigh the PIA factor. PIA, pain in air. You know what I'm saying? And if your performance and your talent doesn't outweigh the PIA factor, then you get benched. Now, how do you know this, Dan? I'll tell you exactly how I know this. Because this guy did not have enough respect for his team, his coaches, and his teammates to shut the hell up. He immediately went out and did what guys do. He immediately went out and made some type of excuse. He immediately went out and blamed others. I'll bet you money. If T Texas A&M staff is listening to this show right now, which I'm sure they are if they're smart, I bet you money they are not in their head going, oh, man, yeah, you're right about that. He did this, this, that. I'm just telling you. Now, somebody's going to say, well, you can't do that against, you know, when you don't have evidence. I'm not really talking about this kid in particular. I'm talking about kids that go to social media after they've been benching from a coaching perspective. I'll bet you money. Now, hey, he may be a four-point student. People are going to say, well, you know, he's a model. Everybody's a model. Everybody's a model citizen. 
But I'm, from a coaching perspective, let me say it again to you, Barrett Sports Media that seems to quote our show every day. From a coaching perspective, the minute I saw that, I looked at it and went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so much more going on here. Because let's be honest, dudes that don't have so much more going on here don't exactly, don't exactly go to social media. Guys that are all locked into the um, the team, they just don't go to social media. They don't. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? You can argue all you want. You can. Oh, everybody, look. Everybody's a great guy. Every kid playing college football is a kid, right? Every guy playing college football is a great guy. Every guy playing college football, every 18 to 23-year-old currently participating in sports in college is the greatest human being ever and above being criticized. Let's just get that out of the way. We all know that. Oh, man, he's a great kid. You don't understand. No, I do understand. I totally understand. I understand it because I was in it for like 40 years. So don't even try it. Don't even think it. Go to other places, all right? Any place you want. But don't go there with me because I know these little angels that are so wonderful aren't. And when you run to social media, when you do that, you're a pain in the ass from a coaching perspective. Speaking of coaching, the guy has been at Syracuse 672 years. His name is Jim Beheim. He's won national championship. Jim Beheim is one of my favorite people because Jim Beheim will tell you that the Big Ten stinks when the Big Ten stinks. Jim Beheim will tell you when his teams are good or when they stink. Jim Beheim said the Big Ten sucked in the tournament last year. What do you want me to tell you? He ain't wrong. That's why I like talking to Coach Beheim. We're getting college basketball season started right now when we come back with the head man of the Syracuse Orange, who, by the way, I don't think you can talk about this, but there is a report. You want to feel old? I'll give you old. Here, you want to feel old? I don't think he can talk about it. But Jim Beheim literally just offered the son of Carmelo Anthony. You got to feel old. I feel old. I feel so old that our thing just uh, looks like it froze. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. You know, my favorite college coach is my son, but he's just an assistant, so he doesn't matter. My favorite head coach is right here, the great Jim Beheim. He helped me with my love life. He's always coming on our show. Hey, coach, uh, thanks. (laughs) Easy. That's what I tell her. I tell her that all the time. You know what? You got lucky, lady. Uh Hey, coach. Coach, the yes, Big sir. Ten stunk last year, and you're not afraid to no, say no. it. Tournament play matters, there, right? There, there you go. I didn't. That's not out of context again. What I said was the Big Ten had a great regular season, which they did, and they had a bad tournament. 
You know, I mean, is, is that wrong? I mean, yeah, I mean, they did. I, I don't know what the numbers were, but, you know, five, six, seven teams lost early and a couple lost wherever. But, you know, in the, again, the regular season matters, and it's important to have a good regular season. But um, I think everybody at the higher level, I mean, any of the top 100 schools, 7,500, whatever number you want to pick, they want to make the tournament, but then if they don't win in the tournament, they're not happy. And the higher you finish, if you're ranked in the top 40, you want to win some games, a game or two. If you're at, if you're ranked somewhere in the top 20, you you, know, you want to go to the Sweet 16. And if you're a top 10 team going into the tournament, you want to be a Final Four team. So I think everything's relative, but I think at the end of the day, you're judged, your league is judged by how well you do in the tournament. That doesn't mean you had a bad year. It just means you had a bad tournament. And I think in college basketball, whether we like it or not, um, what you do in the tournament is what people really remember, especially if you're really a good team. Coach, you, you've been doing this since the mid-'70s. Um, how much has what you just said changed? Like, you know, conference championships, people in Indiana, we remember, but across the country, how much has the regular season been lessened and the tournament been enhanced? I just think in the beginning, if you had a good season, it was great. You know, I remember my first 10, 15 years, we didn't have a lot of success in the tournament, but we had really good regular seasons. Um, it was before the Big East in the beginning, so we didn't have the, probably the strength of team you needed to do well in the tournament. But I think in the last 15, 20 years, the tournament has become pretty much everything uh, that you talk about. Um, our last 10 years haven't been great in the league. I think we finished an average of fifth or so, which is pretty good. Concerning Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Florida State have been top 10 most of those years. Uh, but in the tournament in those 10 years, we've been to two Final Fours and two Sweet 16s. So that's pretty good. That's a pretty good end result. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you want to do better in the regular season uh, than we have. But at the end of the day, people think about the tournament, the tournament. That's, that's what what college basketball is right now. Um, the biggest changes are, you know, kids leave, can leave to go to the NBA or leave to transfer much easier now. And uh, obviously the NIL makes a big difference. But at the end of the day, you're judged by what your team does. Getting to the tournament is number one, and then trying to accomplish something in the tournament is, is number two. Coach. People, and you've talked about this, you've talked about your zone being really one of the reasons you've had tournament success because people don't see it. So let me go back to the Big Ten. Stylistically, mm -hmm. you know, you've got more money, you got great crowds, you got, you know, but why, why is, is there something stylistically in the Big Ten that has no. hindered the Big Ten from winning a championship since 2000? No, I don't think so. I, I really don't. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. 
I mean, if four or five years go by, it's not a big deal. But after 20, you think about it. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, the ACC's won, I don't know, a bunch of tournaments, uh, final, not only get to the Final Four, but win. Uh, one strength of the ACC is not just winning championships, but we've had more teams in the Final Four than other leagues. Um, I think, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, the Big Ten is a really good league. It has been a really good league. And uh, the fact that they haven't won a national championship doesn't mean it's not a good league. It is a good league. But to, to it's, it's how far you progress in the tournament, I think. And you can have outliers. I mean, one year, a couple of years ago, the Pac-12 wasn't good, but they had a great tournament. I mean, Oregon State almost had a losing record in the regular season. They got to the sweet finals of, the, I think, the Elite Eight. Um, so, I mean, your, your league can have a good tournament, but it's consistency. It's what do you do year after year? Um, are you consistent in the tournament? Because remember, the league results are a lot based on what you do in the league, how who you beat in the league. You know, that's what gets you there. And uh, then what you do in the tournament, it measures up what you are against the rest of the country. Uh, but the Big Ten's a really good league. I, I don't argue about which league is better. I think the Big Ten, the ACC, the Big 12, SEC, uh, you know, are all pretty close. The Pac-12 has been a little behind, maybe. But the Big East has been right there. Uh, I, I just think when I watch college basketball, the thing that stands out to me, there's a lot of good players and a lot of good teams. And part of that is the transfer portal is helping some teams and retention help is helping some teams with the NIL, whether it's North Carolina retaining their guys, Michigan retaining Dickinson. Um, there's been some really good programs that have retained players. And then there's some other programs that have benefited tremendously from the transfer portal, really helped them. Um, I think Manic last year in North Carolina helped them get to the Final Four. I think he was a big key. So I think in some cases, transport has been really good for players. In other cases, probably half, uh, players have done worse at the school they transferred to than where they left. But it's here, and you know it, it does affect uh, teams. But you watch teams. I watched, I've watched a number of the College of Charleston I watched last week. Really, really good team. They, they gave North Carolina all they wanted in North Carolina. Um, the, you know, I mean, Notre Dame's pretty good this year, and they had a real tussle um, the other night, with really with Akron, and then with their first game um, last week, um, really close game. Could have gone either way. And when you watch the team play, they were good. They're good teams. You know, and Carl Charleston has got a couple of veterans. they got a couple of transfer portal guys that came up. And uh, college basketball is good. I mean, where don't you have a team? What state don't you have a team uh, that has potential to go to the Final Four, whether it's Indiana, uh, Illinois, the Big Ten, Michigan, all the Big Ten area schools, uh, North Carolina, Duke in our league, Virginia, I think, Kansas. Uh, all the Texas schools are good again. Texas is really good. Texas A&M, Texas Tech, 
Um, Houston, there's four schools right there in the state of Texas that can go to the Final Four this year. So college basketball is, I don't know if it's ever been more balanced or, or better. Uh, I don't. I don't like the NIL and all that, but we get, we're, you know, you, you got to navigate your way through it somehow. You see, I mean, a lot of people, you're the perfect guy again to answer this. He's, a lot of people are talking about, you know, when this TV deal is up, the NCAA is going to expand the NCAA tournament uh, or maybe exclude, you know, mid-majors or make it harder. Where, where do you see it going? No, they won't do that. That's not, that's not going to happen. Uh, I think the term is ripe to expand right now. I think we can do it easily. You know, we have a play-in situation now, right? Simple. They add another four spots. We'll add another four spots, and you have one more play-in place. Like you have one now in Dayton. You can have one in the site of a first-round game. You can actually have a couple at the site of first-round games. And add, whether it's four or eight more teams, I don't really care. What it does, you'll get a few more. People say mediocre, but you'll they'll be better than the term teams that are automatic qualifiers. Probably the teams coming in. You could also make it that you have to take smaller conference champions, or you know, not just the eighth, seventh or eighth place team in the big in the big conferences. Could um, so be accomplished very easily. People say it dilutes the tournament. It strengthens strengthens the tournament because you're putting more good teams in and the chances are they'll win and, and you'll have a stronger field after the first round. But, I, I mean, I don't care if that happens. I think it's good. It's good for kids. Another eight, ten kids teams get to go to the tournament, which is good for players. It's good for coaches. Probably save a few coaches' jobs. Um so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good thing. The NCAA is going to have very little power in the future, I, I don't think. Uh, I think it's going to be conference power. Um, but I think the tournament, you never exclude the automatic qualifiers. You always want them in. Uh, they're, they're not going to win much, but every once in a while there's going to be a breakthrough team or two. And uh, But the tournament's good because of, the, the, the schools that legitimately get in, whether it's a, a Colgate or a co College of Charleston or somebody like that, they could win a game or two. They're good. They have good teams. And, um, you know, I'd like to see, like, Gonzaga wins there every year. St. Mary's should get in the tournament. They have been getting in the tournament. But a team like St. Mary's should get in the tournament. Um, so I think – College basketball is in a great place in spite of some of the issues that we do have and we didn't figure out the NIL or the stuff like that that's here. Uh, but we'll see how that all works out down the road. But uh, college basketball is in a great place and I don't care if they expand the tournament or not. I mean, it's fine if they do. Uh, as long as you just do what they're doing now. You have a playing game in Dayton, you just had a couple more. And you don't change the weeks, you don't change the timing of it. And you just have a you go and better you go to the site where the team would be playing that qualifies. Well now you're in Dayton, you play, you gotta go to California the next day and play. So you could clean yeah. that up probably. <laughs> hey, uh how good's your team? 
Oh, I, you know, I have to have a drink to talk about that. <laughs> uh, you know, we've got four four veteran guys that are they're good players, really good players. Uh, two starters, they average double figures. A guy that came off the bench and played well. Another guy that came off the bench and wasn't quite ready that I think is ready. And we have six freshmen. So all of the freshmen, four or five of them are going to play. So that's always a concern when you play that many freshmen. But we have good size. We're, we're, we're probably faster. We're probably going to be better defensively than we were last year. We just couldn't stop people last year. Uh, and when we started to play really good last year, we lost our center, Jesse Edwards, and uh, we just couldn't recover from that. But I, I think we're going to be a good team. But I look at just our league specifically, there's 10 or 12 good teams in our league. There's a couple right at the top. I mean, obviously, North Carolina, Duke. I think Virginia is going to be really good. They have everybody back, and uh, they're, they're a really veteran team. And I think that Virginia Tech, Notre Dame are good. And there's a couple other teams that are pretty good, too. So I think our league will be good. But I think we're a lot like college basketball. There's a lot of good teams out there. and There will be three or four that really emerge, I think, as the year goes along. I, I certainly think Carolina, Gonzaga, probably Kansas and Houston I like. But, you know, you can name those four, and then you can come right behind them with Kentucky and uh, you know, Illinois from the Big Ten. Uh, you know, Michigan State played really well against Gonzaga. Uh, but, uh, Texas schools are good. UCLA's good. I mean, you really, yeah. And then I haven't named somebody that's going to be really good. So it's just that's just college basketball, and I think I think that's the strength and the beauty of college basketball right now. Buddy, is is he on a two-way deal with the Pistons and Jimmy is playing in Greece? Is that is that what's going on here with the family? Yeah. Jimmy's in Greece, having fun, he enjoys it, playing, trying to work his way up. You know, you start in Europe at kind of a lower level and you have to prove yourself. And uh, the surprising thing, he's a really picky eater, never wants to eat anything except a couple things, and he enjoys he's enjoying the food in Greece. So that that was a big positive. But he likes it. He's enjoying it. But he's uh, two-way with the Pistons and, uh, you know, trying to work his way in. He can really shoot it and get stronger, gets a little better off the ball. Uh, you know, he has a chance, but you never know. It's I tell our players all the time, you know, there's 30 teams in the NBA. They got 17 guys on each team. And you got 12 guys in the G League on each team. There's 29 guys that are trying to get into 12 spots. It's not easy. And, uh, you know, just to have a chance is a, is a great opportunity for him. And to be able to play basketball is a, is a great opportunity for anybody after college. Shashevsky and Williams and Wright. Why are you still coaching? You know, I, my, my wife told me don't come home every day. <laughs> she 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 lets me stay home till 10 or so and then it's time you gotta leave and if I'm not coaching I don't know where the heck I'm going so you know it's like a tough not a tough decision but you know I mean everybody goes at the at the time they think is right and uh you know I I love coaching I love doing it uh, we've got a great group of young players which is always fun to work with 
but yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Fifteen years ago, people asked me if I was retiring. So you know, it hasn't worked yet. So we'll see what see what happens. <laughs> Coach, you uh, we had I a try conversation. You, me, I try. I try to tell people all the time, you know, I'm not playing. I'm telling people how to play. And that doesn't, right. you don't have to be in great, phys, you know, you don't have to be in great <laughs> physical shape to do my job or your job. You know I mean, you can do your job, well, oh. probably forever because you can talk. So, uh, you know, nobody's asking Warren Buffett to retire. He's doing fine, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, hey, look, you're, you're preaching to the choir. All I do is sit, talk, and hope my vocal cords don't go out. But, you know, Coach, this is a dumb question, but you and I and Benetti had a chat. It was on the court a few years ago, and it was like the greatest for me because we were talking about every – you were going back talking about Calvin Murphy and, and, and uh, Norm Ellenberger and, you know, all that. <laughs> Will you ever write a book or have you written a book? I mean, the stuff that you've been in college uh, basketball is, is the – it's unbelievable. Yeah, Jack McCallum and I wrote a book together about ten, seven, eight years ago, I guess it was, and it's a, it's a good book. It was he did. He's a great writer, great sports illustrator, writer, great writer. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, a lot of that stuff is interesting to you and me and a few basketball people. But people outside basketball, they don't they don't care about that stuff. You know, sports books don't sell that well. They really don't. You know, there's a core group of people that love, you know, what we do and want to read about it. But, uh, you know, John Grisham sells books. You know. <laughs> he does. And that's exactly <laughs> what you said to me was exactly what John Feinstein said to me in 1986 when I told him he was going to be a millionaire back when a million meant something to Feinstein. And he said the same thing. But I'm telling you. You're right about the sports books. There's no question about it. You're you're a thousand percent right. It's a niche deal, but but your experience with the biggest names in the history, like Julius Irving dropping like 35 <laughs> rebounds on you on his birthday or something, you know. Oh yeah. I'm telling. Well, I'm just telling you. It's the that same as Feinstein. Night. I'll never forget that night when I walked into the UMass and the coach was there, Jack Lehman. And I Nobody even knew who Julius Irving was. He was in New York State, didn't even make the all-star team for the state. He was 6'3 or 4. So he's a sophomore. It's like his second or third game or something. Freshman didn't play. And Jack Lehman said, I said, how's your this, how's Ju, how's the, I don't even know his name. How's your kid doing? He said, well, you know, Jimmy, some days he plays, some days he doesn't. You know, you never know. He's young. He had 35 and 30, 36 points, 35 rebounds against us. It was like I'm watching this guy going, whoa, I don't know this. I don't know anything about this, but I know one thing. There's nothing that we can do here tonight because there's nothing in the world that we can do. And we had a good team. We just won on the road at Connecticut. We had a first-round draft pick, Billy Smith. Our center. I knew on the first play of the game, Billy Smith jumped. He could jump. And he jumps and he's up over the rim a foot and a hand comes up and just grabs the ball and lays it in. You know, he couldn't dunk that. Grabs the ball and lays it in the basket. And I go, We ain't winning tonight. You know, this is not this is not gonna be pretty. <laughs> Julius was uh, whew, 
something else. Some, when you see that for the first time, I saw that, and then I saw Bill Bradley warming up when I didn't know who he was at Princeton. I watched an old guy in sweats make 98 out of 100 shots. And I said, oh, I guess that's Bill Bradley down there shooting down there on that end there. <laughs> hey, last thing. Didn't didn't our Norm Ellenberger get a guy out of jail for murder or something to play well, against you? Yeah, he. I think he had just gotten out. I think he'd been out a few months, but he. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, we played him in New Mexico. That's the toughest place I've ever seen. Nineteen thousand people. They sold standing room spots, one behind the other in the concourse, so you could be in the fifth standing room spot looking down on the court. And they had a great team. We beat them at home. It's the only home game they lost. They it was best one of the best games we ever played. Ninety eight, ninety three, and uh, we had a, a referee named Herb Brown who made two calls at the end of the game for us on the road because he liked being booed by nineteen thousand people, and uh, we won the game. But yeah, Norm was. He came down. The, they had a ramp. You come down that you couldn't hear yourself. It's the only place I've ever been. You could not talk to your team. You know, you could not, they could not hear you during the timeouts, which is probably good. They didn't need me to talk to them, so it was good. Probably good. Right. <laughs> Coach, thank Julie for setting this up and, and getting you hooked up because I know there's no chance you could possibly do this. Almost, on a... almost not. <laughs> almost not. <laughs> That's why I'm coaching. Hey, good luck. <laughs> thank you, Dan. <laughs> All right. That's the great Jim Bayhi, man. I love talking to coach. I do. He's one of the most fun guys out there. I think he is the best coach, the most fun guy. Hey, we're running a little late. We got a woke dope. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is making me nuts. This is the Nick Cannon of women. It's an advantage because she's got all these guys paying for her. All right, big finish, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the deal. Every we every day we're going to mimic Tommy Lauren and we're either going to give out good or bad. The good this week, Jeff Saturday deciding, "Hey, look. The good this day. Jeff Saturday bringing an energy, bringing a toughness and standing up tall along with his owner, Jim Ursay, standing up and saying, "You know what?" I don't give a damn what we're supposed to do. This is what we are going to do. What you're supposed to do is hire a Gus Bradley. Who? A John Fox. What? A Scotty Montgomery. Huh? No. They were part of the Colts' problem. So Jimmy Ursay went with his gut and decided, hey, look, I'm going to do what the hell I want to do. I'm not going to listen to my general manager. I'm not going to listen to my vice president. I've already listened to those guys. I've listened that got me Carson Wentz. That got me Frank Reich. Uh-uh, that got me Marcus Brady. All three people who they basically have had to fire. More business people, more people in this country need to do what is right as opposed to what is politically right. And when somebody does it at the end of every show, I'm going to salute them because, frankly, that's the way this world should, should work. On the other side, stop it, Bill Cower. People are hired for a variety of reasons. People are hired for reasons that the owner or the boss dictates. 
I understand the NFL is so politically correct that you've got to do this and you've got to do that and they've got to check all these boxes. And I understand that the old coach looks at coaching like some kind of religious calling. It ain't. It's teaching a guy to push a ball across the line. Well, Dad, you're a crappy coach because you don't – No, I understand. I take care of my players to this day. To this day. I get all that. But the modern coach is nothing more than a babysitter. The modern coach is nothing more than a facilitator. The modern coach is nothing more than an enabler. When's the last time you heard a coach really and truly go on a podium and tell you the truth? Yeah, you know what? Slappy Johnny didn't feel like playing today, so we lost. You know, now you've got the legends, quote, if coaching. you got the Steve Spurriers not giving a rats that one of his players smacks a girl, makes excuses for him. You've got Steve Kerr saying, hey, look, it's all right. Don't worry about it, Draymond Green, as you knock out a teammate. We're not going to punish you. You've got Popovich allowing a guy named Josh Primo to expose himself numerous times to employees. These are the legends in coaching, which is why I have lost respect for the coaching profession. I like talking to guys like Bayheim. I like that my son is with a great guy over at Illinois State. But I don't like when old coaches make modern coaching out to be something that it isn't. It is not the old days. It is not, God, look how hard I work to get to this position. My ass. People get to positions in coaching for a variety of reasons. And most of them don't involve paying your dues. So Bill Cower. I was on the fence a little bit about Saturday. I want to thank you for pushing me over into firmly Jeff Saturday's camp. The Colts play the Philadelphia Eagles. I hope they kick their ass. And I hope at the end of the day, Bill Cower continues to look stupid. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us today. What an awesome, awesome, awesome show. Thank you, Ryan, Davey, thank you. Dylan, you are the man. Aaron, thank you for your diligence. Kahaley, thank you for promoting. Let's have a freaking week. We're off to a great start. Join us right here, 9 to 11. And I got more to say, noon to 3 at 107.5 The Fans. See you tomorrow.